And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome everyone, wherever you are around the world. This edition of the Race MotoGP podcast sees us chat to a face that you've seen but have maybe never heard from. He's always busy in the MotoGP paddock, doing deals behind the scenes and getting things and teams established, up and running, and then winning. Johan Stigefeldt is best known for his work with the Patronus Yamaha team over previous years, but his background was actually as a racer, coming through to 50cc and then having a year in the 500cc class back in 2001. Johan joins me, Toby Moody and Simon Patterson for a chat about team managing and the different roles he's had over the years. Welcome, Johan. Where are you in the world right now? Yeah, thank you. Uh, right now I'm at home in Sweden, so that's my base, basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, do, do you do you still have that Spanish base during the the main part of the summer? No, no. I mean, me and my wife, Carolina, we we moved back from Spain already in I think it was 2006. We moved back to Sweden, and then we've been based from here since then. Yeah. So, kind of the end of your racing days. Now, you you you've had teams in every class. You've got quite a roster, haven't you? World Supersport, World Superbike, Moto Three, Moto Two, and Moto GP. You are you're a sucker for punishment, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a you know a very interesting uh, last fifteen years, let's say, since we we started our own team, me and my wife, in in Supersport back in two thousand five. You know, working with so many talented riders, uh, you know, future world champions, and 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 uh, you know, I learned so much, by just uh, running this kind of um, operations and meeting so many nice people and, and and interesting people. So, it's not been easy. It's been definitely very difficult and and hard at times, but also a lot of satisfaction and, and nice moments. What was the moment where you said, "I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run a team." What was that? moment like and what what triggered it well if we if we rewind a little bit to 2004 um i did uh 250 world championship in in uh, with uh, Dieter stappert and uh that year was not very good to be honest you know i'm, I'm like coming to an end of 250 getting a bit fed up with the factory bike you know versus the privateer bikes and the tires everything was so big difference at that time um and uh, while my let's say <coughs> all of these guys with, who have been competing with and beating many years had uh, opportunities to get factory bikes i was just standing still let's say i was doing my mediocre seasons and you know a top 10 once in a while and 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 uh, I, I didn't get further so I said to Carolina, I said, let's, you know, let's start a team. Uh, let's uh, control the team ourselves and the bikes and the equipment we have and, and, and um, see what we can do. 
and that's how the team idea started basically that we could we could do it better than the teams i was running with you've kind of touched on it a little bit there sticky but i think we're super used these days to moto 2 where basically everyone's on the same calyx everyone has the same engine everyone has the same tires and things are fairly equal and you can see it in the lap times whenever you see like a second covering 25 riders but I think people have kind of forgotten how different things were in the 250 days and how much of a difference there was between the different specs of bikes and the grid and, you know, what a challenge it was to be at the back. Yeah, I mean, it was a big challenge. I mean, coming coming from the European Championship in 97, I did I did really well. You know, I was I was up there. I was, you know, top three. I, I did a lot. I had a lot of podiums. And those times was like, like I said, Fonsi and Golfo, Belega, you know, many, many, Jay Vincent, many good riders, you know, from, from uh, that all of us, you know, progressed to, to the World Championship. And at that time, we have to remember was like, you know, you had a committee who, who decided who the riders could come. You had to have a track record of, you know, results. So coming into the 250s was like a dream of course in the world championship but but then it was very hard and and uh, like you said Simon if you see now that the moto 2 how equal it is and and uh, everything is like you know um, same same spec of bikes tires etc suspension uh, it's up to the team and riders to perform uh, for me that that's a huge progress and 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 uh, nice to see how all the riders can be more competitive together as I said at the top, a lot of people know you as the team manager. We've seen you in the 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 the, the, the Amazon Prime documentary. We'll get around to that in a minute. But what was it like when you got your 500 ride? Here we are now, 20-something years ago. What was it like? I'm on a 500cc grid. This is pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> do, you, do you remember those days quite fondly? Uh, wow. Yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> yes or no? Uh, yes and no, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Of course, looking back, it's a huge uh, privilege to be. In. If you look at the, the grid at that time, if you look at a photo, I saw a photo recently, you know, with me and everybody basically from the history. Like everyone knows everyone on that, you know, on that grid. Uh, and then that was the good part, you know, that wow, I can do five hundred. Uh, and uh, I knew it would be a challenge. I knew it would be difficult. I knew I would be like, if I take a point, a score point, it would be like a win, you know. Um, but it was a huge challenge because the bike wasn't really competitive. Uh, the team was very, you know, I, I won't say they were not well funded. They have a, they had a good, you know, funding, but they had their ideas about how to run a team and how to, you know, to make it their project with this kind of rock Yamaha with, you know, with, with parts uh, collected from Team Roberts, <laughs> you know, put together like a, it was a beast. It was not easy to ride and was like very, yeah, very hard at times. But, you know, looking back, it was not, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an experience, you know, and, and something that, you know, will we'll always have with me, of course. So you say that you looked at the picture the other day. So on that grid was Valentino Rossi, Loris Caparossi, and look at you now. You've you've overseen Valentino in Petronas Yamaha. You're now working with him. You, you could you could have you could have bet somebody ten million euros twenty one years ago, and no one would have believed what would have happened in twenty twenty two. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it just incredible? Yeah, I mean that that's uh, you know I have to pinch myself because you know when when I first met Valentino was nineteen ninety five. We were in Mugello, it was a European Championship. Me and my brother we went down in our bus, you know, from Sweden to Mugello, our first European Championship. 
we parked next to Valentino and uh, <laughs> you know the funny thing is he still remember this you know when I when I when I talked to him about it last year it was like yeah I remember Stiggy you know and because he was with Mauro Nocioli Mauro was my crew chief in in, in uh, 250 in 2003 and uh, so we discussed about Mauro and this and that and you know that's the good thing with with Valentino. He never forgets. You know, he's always so up to date with everything and the history and what's happened. And and then yeah, working with him last year and and being his boss basically was was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. How much easier is it? Do you think being a team boss whenever you've been a racer? Do you think it it gives you an extra insight into the guys and it makes it a little bit easier to work with them? I think you know. Every rider is big egos, you know, they all, they all, uh, and including myself when I was a rider, you know, you just look at your own best interest and, you know, you, you see, you know, I'm doing right, the team is doing wrong, this and that, you know, I, I was in this position many times when I was in 250 and, you know, I was upset with the team, I didn't get the right, you know, equipment and, you know, I wanted better cylinder or pistons or whatever, you know, what you had that time. And then I think that's really good because I learned a lot being uh, this egoistic rider looking at myself and my best interest and not looking at the team how much they work and struggle and you know yes to survive and to get money and you know to go around because in the end of the day all of them down in these classes is is passionate people they they do it for passion not to get rich you know i mean this is like you know you, you go through all these years to 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 yes get better results and year by year go on it's like uh you know it's 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 a wheel of never-ending uh, stories. I learned a lot of 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 things being a rider, coming in as a team boss, understanding the riders more, and I could talk to them on, an, on another level. I think. But you still got to get together a band of even in a Moto three team, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty five people. You got to get the truck. You got to get the tools. You got to pay the insurance. The the truck has got a huge diesel tank, and it needs to go around Europe. And you've got to deal with the politics. That's that's. How do you sleep at night of a of a Grand Prix weekend? Yeah, <laughs> I always said, you know, the 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 racing is like ten percent of of everything behind the scenes. You know, yeah, the the racing is just the the ice on the cake, and 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 then if you you know happen to have a podium, it's just like wow, you know, it's like a few minutes of glory, and then back to the box, back to the trailer, back to the reality, you know, uh, looking at bills, planning the next trip, uh, talking to sponsor who didn't pay or whatever, you know, it's like always something going on, always problem solving all the time, no matter which level of team. Like you said, I've been running teams from World Supersport with very low budget to MotoGP with, and not only MotoGP, at that time we had you know, Moto GP, Moto Two, Moto Three, six riders, sixty staff. I think one of the biggest teams in 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 history in 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 Moto GP paddock. You know, so of course this been like uh, yes, a huge challenge. <clears throat> home, you work so much. You know, twenty four seven at home, seven days a week. Uh, you go to the race, you sleep. You know, different hotels, flights here and there. I, I think you're in a kind of uh, vacuum. You don't understand what's what's going on, and you just go on and go on and go on, and you just think that this is the only thing in the world, you know, that exists. But you signed Patronus, so you know there are the good, there are the upsides, there are the good sides, and you can't run three classes of Moto Three, Moto Two, Moto GP teams, you know, on a on a shoestring. How did the Patronus thing come about? What's the story behind that? 
yeah, like you said, I mean, I mean, we signed Petronas and it was like unbelievable, a dream come through there because, you know, that's a, a sponsor that I think everybody in the industry, you know, four wheels or two wheels would, would like to have. So obviously with our connection with, uh, with, with Malaysia, because it was Sepang International Circuit who was owning the team, uh, we did Moto3 at that time. This is 2017. And um, we started to talk to Petronas end of 17. Uh, at that time, we, we, like I said, we did only Moto3, but we would graduate to Moto2 with one rider, which would be Hafiz Sharin. Uh, and then, you know, we, we talked to them and this was the plan, but the longer, the long-term plan, I remember I was in, in Malaysia at the workshop, you know, with, with, uh, with Petronas and, and, um, we made it like a timeline, you know, we were, we were, 18, Moto2, Moto3, 19, Moto2, Moto3, two riders each class, 20, you know, world champion there. And then 2021, we were aiming for MotoGP. That was our target we, when we did the partnership with them. So we we like, obviously, you know, we, we signed that deal. Hafish was supposed to be the rider and, and uh, that didn't happen because he got the Tech 3 ride uh, because of Folger, uh, I believe, uh, that pulled out. Um so that was a bit interrupted, you know, we had to take different riders that year in Moto2 and it wasn't great. And, and then, you know, I think already in Harest 2018 it was, we had an opportunity to go into MotoGP because Mark Vidies and Aspar were like, you know, in discussion to stop. And Dorna came to us and, and they said, uh, hey, we have an opportunity here. You have Petronas, you know, we, we, uh, we can grant you the starts and, and, and um, can you put together a team? Uh, so that it started like already in 2018 in the beginning of the year and obviously then it was like a lot of meetings with Petronas because they were questioning me uh, are you have the skills to put together the team do you have you know then the knowledge to take the right riders uh, for, for, for sure for me yes no problem at all but you know to convince these people who, who didn't know MotoGP the new Formula One but they didn't know more GP as we do. That was very difficult, yeah. Your your connection with Malaysia, you kind of touched upon it there. It it didn't start with Petronas though, did it? it? It started a long time before that and kind of everything that came building up to that point with the MotoGP team, it all started 2014, I think? Yeah, it started uh, mid of 2013. I didn't have anything. I, I was planning to set up a, a Moto2 team Um uh, but it didn't happen. And then I met Mia Sharisman. Mia was working for Ktram F1. Uh, and he's like, yeah, come over to UK to Leafield, you know, the base of the Formula One team. So I went over there and we had a discussion and uh, Tony Fernandes owning the team, also owning Air Asia. He was super interested in, in the two wheels. So we made a project of um, because they owned Catron cars, so they wanted to do Catron bikes. So we we did two projects. Catron bikes came along, you know, on the side to create, you know, a, 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 a business case and, and building bikes. While I'm I was setting up the Moto Two team, and and um, yeah, we started in 2014, like you said, with Sarko and Josh Herring. Yeah, and Air Asia they spread some money about. They sponsored some Grand Prix as well. So there was some there was some forward push there from fernandez uh i seem to remember so you 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 um 
you've you've worked with so many riders. We've mentioned Valentino, uh, John Hopkins. I can't remember how that came about. Just remind me. <laughs> yeah, Jan Hopkins was uh, in 2009 when I we had the superbike team. So 2009, we were running two super sport riders and two super bike riders. So it was um, Anthony West. He came from MotoGP, Kawasaki, to my team in, in, in World Supersport with uh, an Italian rider, Viziello. And then uh, in Superbike, we started and there was Haslam, Leon Haslam and uh, Roberto Rolfo to start off with. And Rolfo didn't, he didn't perform and we were like, ah, you know, we had some pressure and you know how it is, you know, it was like, it was not, it was not great, but we, we, we swapped him. And then at that time, uh, Hopkins was available. I know his manager at that time, Bob Moore, and we, you know, we started to talk and he wanted to come, come back racing again. And yeah, that's, that's how he came into World Superbike, which was not very good. I tell you that it was a disaster year for him and, 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 and for the team on that side of the garage. Yeah. Uh, Brad Binder, Darren Binder, Fabio Quattararo, of course. We'll come back to him uh, later. Franco Morbidelli, Dovizioso, Cal Crutchlow, Jake Dixon, and uh, and Paul Lewis Salom. Um, we have fond memories of him. Uh, he he was uh, he was part of the the KTM family when I was involved. Uh, always laughing, always having a bit of a giggle. I've got a photograph that I'll never share with anybody. It was just he and I messing about at Eichmann one year. So uh, difficult times as well. It's not always champagne and podiums, is it? But difficult times and unimaginable mental stress for a team and for yourself. Yeah, I mean, one, one like you said, I mean, one year I remember, and I will always remember, one of the strongest years was 2012 with Luis and with uh, Brad Binder. Brad coming in as a rookie, you know, in, in, in uh, Moto3, first year of Moto3. Uh, and Luis is like, you know, I, I, I have, you know, it's hard to describe this character. But if all, of all the riders I work with, he's the biggest character of all of them, 100%, you know. Such a, you know, such a, you know, Latino guy with a lot of temper. But, you know, we, we made plans before the race and he always fulfilled the plans. You know, we... we we had such a strong relationship, me and him, um, and even with Brad, you know, because, you know, for that year I was the team manager there and, and, and basically Brad and, and uh, Luis had their mothers with them because both of them were so young. So I had to drive around, you know, uh, the riders and, and the, the mothers around the world. <laughs> So, you know, we, you know, spending a lot of time in airplanes and cars and hotels, you know, you get to know them really well. And, you know, we had such a great time and, and uh, you know, he performed so well. The team had so little budget and, and we were finishing second in the world championship. And, uh, you know, that, that gave him the ride in, in KTM IO and, you know, fighting for the championship. And, and uh, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, this is uh, one of the hardest things to talk about is, is Luis and, and what happened to him maybe a little bit happier um we we kind of a conversation about young riders and kids that have come up through your ranks without me asking because uh, i know how much he means to you how good has it been to see ayumi sasaki doing what he's doing this year yeah ayumi is another a bit reminding me of luis actually of of the character wise because you know yeah. he's japanese he's such out of you know i mean he's just so european minded that, uh, compared to a japanese mind <clears throat> Ayumu, you know, we always knew he had talent and he was just, I don't think he, he was just not ready when we started with him. And then we grow up, you know, we grow together. And, and, and then in 2019, he did 
he did better and 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 um, I mean I have a very close relationship with Ayumu and it's so nice to see him you know in the right spot now with a good bike and the right people around him uh, and he deserves it I mean he will I'm sure he can fight for the championship next year and and uh, you know that that brings me a lot of satisfaction when you see riders you work with from young and now they're performing so here we are we're at or let's just go back, should I say. We'll go back to the, the beginning of, of the 2020 MotoGP season, COVID, pandemic, lockdowns, Dorna scrabbling to get races. We got going and you end up winning Grand Prix and there you are knocking on the door and it's like, how? just explain the feeling and what it was like to have Fabio Quattararo there and Franco Morbidelli you know, knocking on the door of world championships. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's it's hard to describe. Even even me now, looking back, I'm like, was I really there? <laughs> you know, you look you look back and you think, wow, that was a year to you know. Um, for for all of us, of course, with the pandemic, we had we you know we struggled and and we were you know sitting here at home and thinking, what can we do? And then once we got racing in Jerez, I remember when we went down there, we had a double header in Jerez and. Fabio won the first one, and uh, Frankie had some uh, engine issues, you know. And and uh, but you know, straight from the go, we we were sure Fabio could win the title that year. We didn't think that Frankie could do it, to be honest, because Fabio came out of a strong 2019 season, and 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 Frankie didn't really perform that year as we were hoping for. So we were, of course, we knew Frankie had something, but we we expected Fabio to to you know fight for the title which he did up until like you know Misano I think that year he was you know he won three races and 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 um, he was there all the time so you know to have two riders in a satellite team beating the factory official team all the time and other factories and you know we were like pole positions and wins and podiums you know it just became a normal weekend you know it, it's it's maybe hard to say but it just you know we were like always looking for better and more and you know winning but we should win with more you know it's like strange how you how you how you move in this kind of you know areas once you fight for points and once you fight then you fight for podiums and then you fight for wins it's just the same kind of mindset it's just you know the the ranking is different so obviously the, the towards the end of that season things then kind of disintegrated around Fabio a little bit it, it just it all came crashing down all at once what you know from from your opinion from your insight inside the box what happened I think I think the you know Fabio from the beginning we we as you know we have a very good strong team around him with with Diego and Pablo yeah. and, and and the guys you know mechanics and and they were always very calm, keeping him down. And, you know, they never really changed anything on the bike. They were, like, always keeping the same bike from beginning the first test until, you know, that time when it started to fall apart. It was like, you know, this is your base. This is what you ride with. And then they started to to move around a, a bit too much, I think, changing too many things on the bike. And, you know, he got confused. And, you know, this tire pressure thing, uh, you know, was just haunting him and he didn't he couldn't relax you know and and that's as we saw like 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 what we saw on tv was the same in the in the pit box he couldn't really relax and and ride smoothly and and free as he as uh, as when he performed that's what he do best you know when you relax but so that that was the i think the 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 basic reason was was they were 
once they started to fall down a bit, they started to change a bit too much and, and, and he got nervous and Frankie was performing. And uh, I'm not sure if that was like affecting him. I don't think so, but, but uh, it didn't help, let's say. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So you are Patronus Yamaha in this 2020 season. You're winning all these Grand Prix. People think you're then a factory team. What is the relationship then like with the factory team? What's it like with the the Yamaha people in blue when you're beating them? Yeah, I mean... To be honest, very respectful from both sides. You know, we, we, we had a great relationship with Yamaha, at least I did. I, I had a personally, I had a super relationship with them, you know, with Lin. I can't thank him enough because, you know, he we had so many meetings from from already 2018, you know, when, when we started the project, you know, we met him every weekend and, you know, <coughs> then going through everything, making plans. He was involved with everything. And then uh, also the Japanese, Sumi and, and Hank and all of them, they were like, they were so supportive. Uh, parts guys, everybody was like, of course, happy for us. But I could see also, of course, it, it, it was affecting them a bit that we didn't, that they didn't beat us, Like let's say. Um, I think our team was so young and fresh and dynamic and, 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 and strong uh, and, and competitive and they were like losing a little bit. They were going downhill because Maverick and Val at that time, they were not doing their best. You know, Maverick had some ups and downs and, and he started to already then, I think, friction a bit inside. And, and, and we were this young team coming up with, with all this expectation. And like, no, sorry, not expectations, but then just beating them. But you didn't know the difference. You just did it. We just did it exactly. We were not. We were not like. We were. We were also keeping our feet on the ground, which I said always to everybody: keep the feet on the ground. Never walk around like we are, you know, because it can change very fast. You know, it, it's like quickly we we go from here to here. So that was the respect from our team, I think, and and that that was also what Yamaha saw that we had, you know, we were experienced people inside the team who had been in the top and the bottom you know, most of us. So, so that's, that's, you know, you get more humble of that for sure. When, when tech three split with Yamaha uh, and, and you guys became the Yamaha satellite team. And then again, whenever the, the team that took over from what, what was your team split with Yamaha to go to Aprilia, we heard the, the same thing about Yamaha treat their satellite teams a little bit differently. They treat them more like customers than partners. 
but it, it seems like that wasn't the case, at least for a few years while you were there, that the relationship was stronger than that. I mean, yes and no. Sometimes, you know, and I, I can I can understand from their side that we are we are a customer, yes, uh, but we are also a partner. But but you know, I, I will say sometimes you felt like just a customer, paying customer, uh, but but I would say most of the time I felt the partnership because, like I said, with 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 the, at, at least from my side the the. The experience I gained from from I'm bringing up Lin again, especially from him, because he he was very he, he took care, you know, he took care he, even though for him he's a he's a business, you know, but he took care of us. He was looking after us. He was interested in many things. He wanted to be involved in a lot of th- stuff going on. So you know that's that's the that's how I see it. I think he could just see quite simply the bigger picture. Uh, maybe he knew that he was in trouble with with Vinales and dare I say it Valentino, and he could see the bigger picture of you guys with the coolest looking bike. By the way, that was just the coolest color scheme and livery that was that was of recent years. I have to say, but he could see the bigger picture that on balance going to a Grand Prix, you were going to be the top Yamahas. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we we were we were like. Yeah, he's, he. Everybody saw that. Like you said, with the with the the whole team was factory. You know, when when we showed mm. up, you know, with with the whole the whole team, with the, everything from hospitality to trailers to you know the the whole look of that team was just looking factory. And that was that was one of my work, of course, to to make it that because it was the demand from Petronas to have a you know it has to be F one uh, level. So you know that was one of the biggest challenges to from 2018 to create all of this was so tough to bring first of all all the people in with all this experience and then creating the infrastructure you know behind and 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 just having everything ready and looking you know a million dollars and everything this is this was one of the the biggest challenges of of my life basically I have to say um I disagree slightly on the livery and not because I didn't like the 2019-2021, but because I think the 2018 Moto 3, where it was a lot more black, was is just the coolest thing ever. That that was my favorite of all of your co-color schemes. Um, towards towards the end of that year, towards the end of 2020, we we started to get a picture of there being something wrong at Yamaha in terms of the engines. Um, we, as it all turned out in the end, there was some manufacturing problems with the valves and it, it cost you guys more than anything else. Did, like, did it cost Frankie a title? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Yeah. This is, this is my, or our opinion inside the team that it, you know, you can always look back and say, if this and if that, of course, you know, this, uh, then everybody would be world champions. But, but, you know, this was the, it was out of our hands. We couldn't do anything. And, and to be honest, a little bit out of Yamaha's hands as well. They, they put together parts that they believed was, was right. And it wasn't. So, you know, at that time we were like really upset and pointing fingers and then, but again, they came, they came to us very open, very honest, and we discussed, and, and, and it was very clear. So, you know, we had to stand behind Yamaha, of course. What was it like working with Vilko Zeilenberg, another ex-racer? Yeah, Vilko, Vilko was like one of the guys, uh, when, when we, if I go back again to 2018, when we, when we, you know, created the team, which was my role to, to get the people together, Vilko was one of the guys I, you know, 
wanted in the team because you know he had experience with Yamaha. He knew a bit of 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 um, of course MotoGP because he'd been the performance analyst of 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 uh, uh, Lorenzo and 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 working with Yamaha for a long time. And I know him. I knew him from the Supersport times when when I had my team in World Supersport. Wilco was running the Yamaha team there, so you know Wilco was a good guy for for let's say. Uh, people's manager, let's say he was. His role was put there to manage the 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 Moto, MotoGP uh, structure and um, to to make sure we you know you know follow up in meetings with Michelin with Yamaha with his experience you know make sure everything was was running running in the in the team there. So it was it was an experience. Yeah, it was it was good to have and and it was important to have him in the in the structure. That was my philosophy there at that time. Obviously, there were still three teams running at that point. Um, and I think Wilco, the MotoGP team is very much Wilco's baby, but you were also still trying to juggle the other two teams as well with, with Moto2 and Moto3. It's a lot on the plate at once. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, looking at, you know, if you, if, if you ask everybody inside the team, it was like, of course, Gaslan being the boss, me running the, the operations, meaning operations, Moto2, Moto3, MotoGP, uh, making sure we had everything. Uh, Vilko was my guy to make sure the MotoGP team, like I said, was running. But Vilko was an uh, on-track manager, basically. He didn't, he didn't work a lot of between the races. It was my, my job, Gaslan and other guys. We were, we were making sure that we had everything we needed for, for, for running the team. So Wilco's job was, yeah, performing at the races, but between the races, he was basically, he was involved in things, but he was not operating as we did. And I know that the, the Moto3 team kind of ran the same way to an extent with Mark Woodage and the team that you'd put together from the very beginning there. So it, it must have been, it must have got to the point where going to races was actually your chance for a bit of time off. Yeah, <clears throat> time off, but, you know, a lot of, you know, like I, I said <laughs> I was so busy from you know Friday Friday morning, you know Moto three FP one until you know Moto two Moto GP and then and then you were like you because I wanted to be everywhere, of course looking after everything was okay and you know there was interviews there was the, these things but then of course also I had six managers to take care of you know six rider managers who was always on my my case. <laughs> That, that they're worse than the riders, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like you no. Know, then, then you have the riders, the managers, and and you know some sponsors. Then performing, problem solving again. Uh, but like you said, Simon, yeah, for sure, going to the races was was um, was not not as much work. Let's say at home, it's more in the office, more like administrative stuff, uh, you know, paying bills and make sure we are running budget and, and, and things like that. What's it like working with Raslan Rasley? How did that all shake out? Well, uh, you know, when we started in in uh, 2015, Raslan was the CEO of the circuit and uh, we we folded the, the AirAsia team because Tony stopped with the, with the Formula One and everything. So then uh, I met Gaslan in 2014 in June, I think July, and he wanted. He told me he had a plan to set up a Moto3 team, and he wanted me to be involved. And at that time, I said no because you know I was running the Moto2 team for a race, and that we didn't plan to stop it. But then everything happened. What happened? And then yeah, we we got in in, in touch again, and you know we we made these plans, and he was fighting very hard for for um, 
for making this Moto3 team uh, in, in, in Malaysia to make sure we, we could run it because it was not that easy. The, the board of directors of Sepang Circuit didn't want to do it. They questioned why should we have a team, etc. You know, and for us, it was like, you know, we need to bring in Malaysian, Malaysian talent and, and, and try to develop the Malaysian riders. So he was fighting very hard for that, which was great. And then uh, those years, I didn't, I mean, I was running the team. He was make sure that we, we had budget and everything was going well, but he didn't go to so many races. He was uh, maybe four or five times a year at the races. And then uh, obviously when we started the MotoGP team, it became more, more, of a, more work for him. But he was also the CEO in 2019 and team principal so we were like you know we, we were working very close together and we were we had a great relationship in my opinion uh, all these years we were had a mutual respect for each other i was doing my things he was doing his things and we of course always connected uh you know with riders with budget with you know uh planning for future etc um so it was it was good years until the last year basically it was all all good for me so uh, just for those who, who are listening and maybe don't know this, I actually spent six months about this time working with Stiggy and Raslan um, as part of the team as well. I was Stiggy's press officer at the end of 2019. So I've got a little bit of insight into what was, you know, into these times with you. Um, I, I think we've talked a little bit about expectations and, and, you know, targets in this podcast, but I think it's fair to say that Razlan is someone that always has high expectations. Um, I think his his Thursday night team prep talks and hospitality are a thing of legend in the paddock at this point because of uh, some of his some of his ambitions. Did that make things difficult to work with, or is that just a, another part of your job was something to manage and and something to control? I mean, at times it was quite hard because you know. Um I, w- I won't say that he don't understand racing, but uh, you know he he does. Of course, he been he been in 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 the Sepang circuit, but he's not he's not born with racing as as I am and many many other team managers and and team principals and you know people working in the paddock. They were born into it basically. They were riders. They were you know competing in on the highest level, and and then to explain certain things to to him that it doesn't really work like that. That was that was a challenge at times, and that was good to have Vilko on my side. Many times we were like me and Vilko like many times telling him no, this it doesn't work. You know he wanted to get his way through in certain things, and we said no, it doesn't work. You know, but when it was me and Gaslan alone, it was sometimes difficult to explain things that that um, it doesn't work like that but sometimes it also you have to remember is also sometimes good to have somebody from the outside who don't understand to get a kind of fresh uh, fresh breath of air and, and uh, different ideas so sometimes it worked and and uh, sometimes not i think that's that's probably something that most fans have actually got a little bit of understanding of because it's something that came across quite well in the documentary uh, that dynamic between the three of you was something that they focused on quite a bit. Um, you guys had a really weird time while the cameras were in the box. W- was that, you know, was it a distraction? Uh, I mean, Gaslan loved the, the cameras there, you know. I could see that. <laughs> like, uh, he, he loves the camera and I, 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 I try to be not too much in the camera view and angle and, uh, it, it was at times it was difficult, of course, uh, and and then 
looking back, uh, you know, how they how they angle things, you know, how you get, you know, the, from the from the audience. Uh, that that's like sometimes uh, not great and 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 um, but on on also some occasions he was he was right you know the the cameras did the right thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I think that the the scene we all remember in the documentary is you and Vico Zellenberg on the left and Raslan on the right, and it just didn't look like a team. It was you versus him and him versus you, and that was the impression I got. Yeah, this is this is the the reality. From the last year, it was like that. You know, it was oh, it was good, and we started to we started to fall apart a bit, and and uh, it happened. You know, already in the beginning of the year, I felt like this is going to be a tough, a hard year. You know, um, because you know we 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 had we had Valentino, we had the last year of Valentino of his career, and we knew that we knew what we signed up with. We knew it would be difficult, and and and. His expectations on Valentino was always too high. You know, he was like, you know, we need we need better. He need to do better. We need to perform. But you know, we we didn't. So we now take this opportunity and work with Valle, his last year of this unbelievable career, the best rider in history, and and just embrace it and and, and do the you know support him basically. And and that was the challenge, you know, from the beginning. And and. Um, Obviously, on the other side of the garage, you had our struggle as well with Frankie not performing and complaining and the bike is too old and this and that and changing, you know, we, I think we had four or five riders that year. So the whole thing was so difficult from the first two years being unbelievable. And then we run into the shit and then and then and then uh, and then it started to fall apart, you know. But you work with Valentino Rossi. Come on. Exactly. You know, that's what I, that's what I'm like, you know, very proud of. And, and, and we work with him and such an, you know, such a great character and always positive anyway. So how did, how did Valentino come into the garage? Because he'd come from a factory team. He'd been a factory writer for essentially his entire career. And suddenly he's, he's kind of being relegated to even though you guys had had performed better than the factory team in the previous years um you know it's it's it would have been easy to see it as a step down but he never never really seemed to think that way he was just valentino just in different colors yeah i mean you know we have to remember he brought some guys with him we don't matteo and david his crew chief and data guy and and uh you know we we made a we made a, we made a an agreement there to UK. You can bring these guys. We need to keep some guys in the in the box. And he was very polite and very respectful to to that. You know, he he respected us a lot because he saw what we did like, the, these two years. <clears throat> and you know, he 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 th- he see things that you know, this is like it is a, like a factory team. You know, for him it was like coming in as a factory rider in a in a factory team because you know it, it didn't change a lot for him. The colors changed. The bike was the same. The closest people around him was the same. Uh, so I mean, it wasn't huge different there. You know, it's just on. On I think I would say it would be more relaxing for him, not having all all the focus from the factory uh, all the time. But I think he felt also a bit. Uh, he was a bit disappointed because, of course, he wanted the better results. Uh, he wanted to change the bike a bit to his liking, and it didn't happen. So you know, he was disappointed in in Yamaha as well at some point in that year. Um, but he kept his head up anyway and, and, and uh, did his best. And yeah, he finished off well in, in Valencia, you know, with the best result of the year and, and he did a great race. So that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was good. 
What's your abiding memory, maybe away from the racetrack with Valentino? Was it a restaurant? Was it a nightclub? Was it going to the ranch? What was a, the, you know, I'll remember this for a long time moment. <clears throat> I mean, I, I didn't, we didn't go out much that year, to be honest. We didn't have a, a lot of uh, off-track moments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would I would say this year been more more off track moments with Vale working with with his team now. Uh, it's been more you know also him retiring he's more relaxed. So this year been been a couple of nice uh, evenings out with with him, <laughs> which which been very nice because you know then he can relax I can relax and we are on, on a different level right now and and both of us and that that's been nice actually. I've uh, I've heard rumors about what nights out with Valentino are like, and I've had a few nights out with you, Stiggy. So I can only imagine hard, you know, experience there. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over twenty years, providing a one hundred percent guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So, Johan, you're now with the VR46 MotoGP team. Having worked with Valentino at uh, Patronus Yamaha, he took you under his wing and took you with him. Is that literally how it all shook out for you, Johan Stigerfeld? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, like we most of us know, I had a hard year last year, you know, finishing like like we did uh, with, with, the, with the Petronas team. And, you know, uh, because, you know, I just have to say many of the people there and guys and, and, and girls, they were like my friends and we had to stop something great. You know, there was, like I said, almost 60 people working there and, and, and to leave that was very hard for me because basically I had a relationship with everyone. Uh, I, I hired most of them, so so they were working for me. So it was was tough, and I think Vale saw that, and especially his, uh, you know people around him, Max and Uccio and 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 uh, Gianluca, you know Gianluca Falcioni, the the manager of Frankie, um, and also the managing director of VR46. We we had built up a, a great relationship, uh, me and him, and uh, he felt like. You know, we need to we need to work with you, Stiggy, because you have experience, you have uh, you know a lot of knowledge, you have a lot of connections, and uh, so he suggested me first of all inside the the structure because they already had a structure with with Pablo and Uccio and them running the team, so we had to basically create a role for me um, uh, in in late stages, and um, he he proposed to Vale that I should work with him and uh, and. Uh, more on the business side, partnerships, and Vale, of course, approved. So he, he's the guy who say, says, yeah, we need Stiggy, Stiggy should be here, uh, it's good for us. So in the end of the day, he approved that that uh, it would be good to have me in, in, the, in the structure. And then we have to remember, uh, nine people came from Petronas to VF46. Uh, and I suggested a lot of them people going there because they are good, good, uh, you know, good people with a lot of experience and in their areas. When did you kind of realize that you needed to start looking for something? Because we we saw the a little bit of the timeline with 
Patronus pulling out and then it looked like the team would, would carry on and that you'd still be involved in it and then it didn't look like that. Um, it, it all seemed quite messy. Yeah, it was very messy. I mean, still today, I, I'm, I don't know really why uh, I'm not there. I have not, never got an explanation for it and and uh, that's tough. But, you know, on the, on the other side, I need to move on for myself and my family and... and, and uh, and, uh, you know, at one point I was thinking, you know, to stop completely with MotoGP, to stop completely with the, with the racing, to do something else. I had some other offers, to be honest, on the table, which was very nice, very good from the, from the private sector, let's say, uh, which I was considering. Uh, but then I think it was around Misano time, second Misano after Austin, that I came back and I'm like, you know, I had this meeting with, uh, with VR46 and with Gianluca and... I felt okay. Let's let's do it, you know. But I said I need to take a breather. I I can't be so much involved. I need I need some space. I need to you know mm, I need time to 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 bring up my passion again because I, I to be honest I really lost all my faith and passion end of last year uh, in in the sport and and that that was very tough you know very tough because I've been I've been doing this all my life. Uh, basically uh, and that's what I know I you know I, when you work with something for so many years uh, you think that this is the only thing I know of this is the only thing I can do uh, it's tough to just be taking that away from you when you when you don't control it yourself basically so uh anyway i got this opportunity and i was thinking i spoke to my wife and you know we doing you know me and her always been, done these things together uh and she said yeah okay if you feel like you know you want to do it go ahead and see what that can can lead to and it's it's looked this year from from what i've seen for you personally it looks like it's worked it looks like you've got your passion back and it looks like a lot of fun inside that team yeah, I mean it, it is. It's a great team, a great uh, team uh, atmosphere, which which you know I respect, and and it's not easy always to build up that thing. And and uh, uh, my role now, yeah, it, it's it's basically nothing compared to what I've done. But it's nice, you know. I'm enjoying myself. I can I can you know it's, I can see things from a different angle, which is very good. You build more experience because you know for me everything in life is about experience, and and then you build up your database let's say your own you know your own base of knowledge and and uh i've done so much in 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 motorcycle racing like toby said i've been i've done all the classes you know i didn't i've done so many things as a rider and now doing these things with vf46 which is for me what the biggest brand in the world uh connected with with motorcycle apart from manufacturers it's it's a privilege to work with them yeah so just to explain, what what are you doing at VR forty six? You're not the team manager. You're not the team principal. It's something very different. What is it? Yeah, it's something very different, but something I've done before as well. It's it's basically looking for sponsors, making sure we have uh, budget and and partners, and bringing in new business opportunities to the to VR forty six. So. Um, yeah, the, the end of the day, looking for sponsors, working with Gianluca, and and we, we are a group of people there uh, doing this job. So we have our you know team in the team doing these things, and 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 uh, it's it's nice because you know we we uh, yeah we're doing this uh, together, but with the team of course be behind. So you are an Italian team. You have got the might of Valentino Rossi 
above the door and running, you know, there. The name is in the team. You ring up a sponsor, you bump into a sponsor, you pitch to a sponsor. Oh, it's for Valentino. Surely the doors just open. Surely they just open. Easiest in job in the paddock. <laughs> it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Surely you're selling ice creams on the beach in 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 Los Angeles. Come on. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, uh, yeah. To a certain extent, yeah. I mean, there there is you know many many companies and people who want to be connected with with the team because he's, he's, it's uh, end of the day it's Valentino Rossi's team but we know he's not so connected with the team because he's doing his car racing and you know he let he give it to Ucho to, to manage and, and but you know Vale is Vale and, and um, I will say there's a lot of Italian sponsors this team is very Italian focused you know from, from, from sponsor side my job is to find sponsors outside of Italy to find more partners connected with the world championship we're in and 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 that's not so easy all the time i mean this, this is like you know we are 46 and and valentino rossi is big in italy and and many places around the world but not everywhere you know so uh, many sponsors nowadays also want the business to business case they want you know connected with with the um, with the brand so so that's that's quite challenging sometimes but also very nice to work with yeah is there something that you've looked into from VR46 MotoGP team, the VR46 Academy? Is there something that you could somehow hook up with Valentino's car racing as the same brand? Have you looked into that? I mean, uh, the car racing side is more on Gianluca's side to to manage, you know, and then that's. Uh, but but obviously, if we have a partner who want to be involved with him personally and the team, we are of course. We can we can we can discuss and we can we can find ways, um, but Valentino won't also sign up with anyone. He he is also very selective in the way of working with with partners, etc. What's it like dealing with? I mean, I know you're not the team manager per se, but I'm still curious. What's it like dealing with Ducati from that MotoGP perspective with Luca and Marco as the riders? What, what's what's it like as a customer Ducati team? Yeah, I'm not I'm not. Uh, you know, directly involved, but I am. I hear things, and I'm, I am, you know, involved behind the scenes. Some some part of it, you know. And and for me, for me, it looks like a great uh, relationship. Uh, obviously, Ducati have. Uh, it's heavy for them to have uh, eight bikes on the grid, uh, six customer, you know, bikes, and and um, that's not very easy. In from my perspective, it's it's been quite challenging. Uh, but they they did it, which is you know hats off to them because it's not been an easy year. Do you think they're too thinly spread with their engineers? Uh, I, I won't say that. I think they are very you know they are very involved in in every rider in every you know especially I, I would say in the beginning maybe not that much in the team, but then when the team start to perform and do better, they very then they come and they they discuss, which is. Normal. It's obvious, you know. Like that's how it works. We we all know that. The better you do, the more interest, etc. So, no, they they do they're doing a good job. They work differently from Yamaha, definitely, because I've seen both. So there's a different kind of uh, setup behind the the scenes from Yamaha and Ducati. There's there's obviously a, a full management structure. Yourself, Gianluca, Pablo Ucho, Albert Tribaldi, all these people in VR46. But 
How much of a, a day-to-day role does Valentino have? Like, is he still the guy that signs off on all the big decisions? Is he still the, you know, at coming to all these meetings or joining by Zoom or whatever to, to keep an eye on things? No, he's, he's very focused on his car racing now. So he's, you know, that's his main uh, uh, objectives. And, and, and uh, but obviously within VF46, there's a board and, and Valentino is the boss. And, and you know, he, he, you know, everything has to go through him, basically. So he, he's, yeah, he, it's like you say, he signs off uh, the big things and the big decisions, not not the small ones, I think, you know, this is not like, you know, but the big decisions is, is going through him for sure. You said you had a bit of a mental dip, almost fell out of love with the sport last year. I know exactly what you're talking about, but is your enthusiasm back as strong as it ever has been? Did you Did you almost need to have that break? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Maybe, maybe was you know this was a good moment to step out of it in some ways to to because like I said before, you're stuck in a wheel and you never get out of it. If you're there, you you keep going year after year after year, and you think this is the only thing in life, but it's not. It's not. No. <laughs> in that way, it was it was very good that I could could get a break and get out of it. Because I wouldn't like to be in the in the in the um, in the position of Gaslan this year in the team because I know it's been tough and and the struggle and not only him to run a MotoGP team now is not easy you know you you need first of all budget and you need to rely on sponsors and you know there there is uh, the, the situation in the world is doesn't help you know with with war and 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 uh, you know the inflation everything is is affecting the sport for sure. Um, so in that way, it was a nice way to get out of it and just, you know, focus on other things in life. Um, but the, like I said before, the way it happened was not, was is, it left a very bitter taste, uh, um, the way it happened. in, in uh, I, I, For me, I didn't deserve that, you know. I didn't deserve to be treated like that uh, end of the year and, and to have that kind of um, disrespect uh, towards me. Okay, looking forward, what what's your opinion about the Saturday afternoon sprint races, the Sprint Grand Prix? What's your point of view from a racer? Uh, I think it's uh, it's going to be good in way of uh, as a racer because you know when when is race day? You mentally you you, you are more you're more focused some way somehow. You know when when you when it's a race day, you you show up and it's more there's more tension in the in the air from from everyone not only the riders so i think from that way it's going to be more you know more competitive it's going to be nice to have a you know an, another race but i don't think uh from my my own way i think we should have done like maybe five or six next year starting off small and maybe grow it not every single weekend it's going to be very hard for the riders and the teams because it's a different mindset like i said from everybody on on on, on race day couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, it's been wonderful to catch up. Uh, I think it's snowing outside with you at the moment. It's uh, certainly a wet day here in the UK, and I, I don't know if it's sunny in uh, in Northern Ireland. For it's for beautiful here, absolutely oh. beautiful. Send send some Sorry. sun over. Send some sun over. Uh, 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 Johan, we were coming back from Suzuka one year. Oh, I don't know when it was. 90s late 90s early zeros i genuinely can't remember i think it it. and we were coming back from suzuka and we were flying out of osaka airport the man-made airport in the bay 
and we were going to take off at 12.45 on a Monday morning, Monday lunchtime, and the plane didn't take off. And everybody rushed to the desk. I want to get on the next plane back to Europe. And, and I just said, can I have my bags, please? And everybody said, well, what are you doing? I said, because you won't get on the plane. Just let them put you up in a hotel and we'll do it again on Tuesday. And you and me and Jeremy McWilliams and a few of his Northern Ireland friends, colleagues, we all ended up in a hotel on a Monday night. And of course, you know what happened. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't heard this story and I know what happened. (laughs) Like like Simon said before, you know we you know to go out with us, it's it's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good it's a good time, and uh, we all do. And of course, the, you know, and it got later and later, and McWilliams is there, so of course it's just it's just times two. Um, uh, never mind a bit of Scandinavian drinking. I jest because you were still a racer, but you know what I mean. And and I said something to you, and I'm sure it was then. I said, but the thing is, Stiggy, you're far too intelligent to be a motorcycle racer. And you hated me. You wanted to poke my eyes out. <laughs> and 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 actually, what you've done since you've uh, stood away from racing and put your crash helmet on the shelf has been nothing short of, of quite spectacular. To do what you've done, I take my hat off to you because the stress involved in all of that and chasing sponsors, as you say, is another level. And, 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 and getting a great team together is the best feeling in the world. But to get there is no easy task. And I take my hat off to you. Fair play. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's been tough, but I hope I contributed a, a, a good part of, of what I've done to the sport. And, and you know, I, I have so much passion for this sport and, and I, we, I won't lose it. But but uh, it's been very tough, like like you said. But you know, you have to look at the good times. You you don't remember the bad times so much. You only tend to look at how good it was. You know, so that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You just erase the bad bits, don't you? And over time, you only remember the good bits, like the Monday night in the Osaka airport. Yeah, we we had some fun. We had some fun. Good days. Good days. Uh, Jan Stigerfeld, uh, you're part of the VR46 team. Uh, going forward in MotoGP, it's great to have you on our race podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, have a great winter. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Same to you. Thank you, Simon, for joining us. And keep in touch with everything that we've got going on at therace.com. And remember to send in your questions to podcasts at the-race.com uh, for Simon, Val and I to discuss. And also Tom Jojic, uh, the crew chief who's been working in MotoGP up and down the pit lane for the last 20 years or so. We've got a series of podcasts with Tom talking about 500s, 990s, Casey Stoner, and also how Ducati have done so well in the uh, in the recent years and of course being victorious in the 2022 motor gp season so send in your voice messages to podcasts at the-race.com from johan stigerfeld from simon patterson and myself toby moody thank you for listening speak to you soon the athletic 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.